Food feature time, and we are uh, chatting Le Creatifs. We're joined by Chef Wandile Mabaso, who is the owner and head chef at Le Creatifs. And you've, if you've had an opportunity to experience the space or even to experience Wandile's hands in the kitchen, give us a call, 011-883-702 in the WhatsApp line, 072-702-1702. Wandile, what an honor. Welcome. And uh, we're so excited to have you here on 702 Afternoons. Yes, thank you for having me, and uh, you know it's always it's always a pleasure to be here. Are you liking our new spot, uh, <laughs> our new home? Yes, yes. Besides, <laughs> I, I got lost coming here, and then I was told you were here. But um, it looks better. It looks very nice. Bigger space. Right, yeah. right. Now I, I'm so excited to chat to you because I've been observing from the media and the socials and just get to see the beauty of of the work that you do because food is also quite a visual thing but i'm curious in terms of you know the beginning of the journey your relationship with food like as a child what was that like i feel like you loved eating sour porridge i don't know why no (laughs) actually to be honest with you all the things that uh, kids grew up loving I hate it you know, like, <laughs> thing, I used to sorghum I used to hate the smell you know um, when when it was fermented. being like brewed yeah when yes. it's fermented you know um, and as a result I used to hate like funerals and, and those kind of things because that's where we eat <laughs> um, I used to hate like uh, amasi and mm. creamy foods um, so I I wasn't, my relationship wasn't like any other kid growing up. Um, Mm. I think I was just more um, in love with the act of um, transforming food or dealing with food um, as opposed to eating. I wasn't much of an eater, really. So you were those kids that had to be threatened to eat your food? Yes, I was those skinny kids that never (laughs) ate, that always threw away mom's lunch and and opted for sweets and... uh, so I was that kid, you know, but I really love the act of cooking and mm. it's something that grew within me over over the years into my teens and then into my adult life. So how does that work, though? If you are not a lover of food, right, like as in that foundation phase, you were not a lover of food, but you enjoyed the act of cooking. What was the part that you love? Is it that part of like when you're giving somebody the food and their face lights up and they're like, mm. Mm, one day. Yeah. <laughs> is that the part that you love or yeah. what is the part that you enjoy? Um, I think that's the part that everybody appreciates now. <laughs> but um, for for me, um, I wasn't a lover of eating. Let me put mm. it like that. But I was always intrigued about food, about spices, about how this is transformed and how does this taste and why does this look so good. Mm. Um, so I was intrigued about everything uh, with food and the transformation of food and ingredients, but not um, a big eater. And I still believe I'm not a big eater. <laughs> when when did things sort of, when did the shift happen within you yeah. that food could become a much bigger part of your life? I think when I was uh, 17, um, leaving high school and then deciding on a career, and um, that's when you needed to get serious uh, about where your direction is going as as a um, an adult. Mm. So I mean, I wanted to cook, and my parents uh, thought this was not a um, a career for for you know people of color. And at that time, it wasn't as popular as it is today, like with uh, uh, food networks and yes. uh, food everywhere and food channels. 
Um, so there was no reference that this is actually a career. And for men, most, most particularly because of, um, um, you know, our background, Zulu background, uh, men don't cook. So in daughter difficult. must. In daughter must. He must eat and he must get, and he must yes. get the chicken wing. <laughs> So <laughs> I get you. I get you. Yeah. And, I, and I love I love that you're speaking about the part of the reference points because especially for many parents that are listening who this next generation, they really I mean, we knew we could be anything, but we also were like, but I can't actually. Mm -hmm. This new generation genuinely knows they can be anything because they're so exposed to everything, right? And if that there's that parent that's like, I'm not sure about this food thing because yeah. my favorite restaurant I go to, the chef is always on his feet, this and this, the economy. But the part about reference points is that now there are more reference points. Now there is yes. a one dealer where you can say, well, you see, he can do it. And maybe um, growing up, there, were, there was only more mama in the kitchen. In real life, chefs are mainly men Yes, in, the, in, in that space. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, the reason why most chefs are men is because the industry was actually created by a man. Mm. Um, and the reason why it's so tough is because the man who created it was actually uh, from the army. Yes. <laughs> so he's very militant and that's a tradition that's stuck. Um, and because it's militant, it's made it very difficult for women to survive in the industry. The long hours, mm -hmm. um, coming home at 1 a.m., um, carrying um, very, very heavy material on your feet all day, mm. your back. Um, but I think it's starting to change now. I mean, you saw the two ladies that are with me, young ladies, uh, very talented, up and coming. My kitchen alone is probably 50% female. Mm. So I encourage that. Um, and, and the age group is 18 to 25 mm. um, in my team. So we encourage youngsters, we encourage female um, and I encourage really everyone, but obviously uh, more people of color as we were disadvantaged. Um, and we need more chefs of color, I believe, mm. at, at that level. But things have changed. I think it's both the gift and the curse. The fact that it's readily, readily accessible to them uh, could also be a, a problem because they think they can um, attain it very quick. Um, and that is a step that you can't really You change. can't skip. The, the 10,000 hours of... Unfortunately, of, yeah. you can't. And with the, the new digital world and social media, they believe they can get it tomorrow. And um, unfortunately, that's not true. And that catches up with them. No matter how you get to do it or, mm. or, or do the shortcut, it will catch up with you mm. at one point. Someone will actually see that you can't cook. I think maybe what um and i mean it applies in my industry as well because a person might be like i i could get on a mic i could i can do that right yeah. but where it might catch you out is the consistency and the longevity putting out a few good meals yeah. is one thing consistently putting out good meals every single day and having people believe that they need to pay for it and not just consistently good meals creating an atmosphere it, it's 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 something that you start to learn with experience that, okay, if we're going to go do an event somewhere, I already know what I need to preempt my clients want and what I need to discourage them from because it does not work at yeah. the event. It works in the restaurant because you have all your tools and those kinds of things. So maybe on that point, from the time where you say now you were 17 and you were planting the seed with your parents and they were not keen, how did you actually convince them? 
Um, well, f- my mother was, was always supportive, um, but on my dad's side, it was a big no-no. Mm-hmm. So the compromise was then going to a hotel school and doing a hotel degree, yes. uh, which I did. And then ended up overseas doing my, my uh, internship um, in Italy. And then We're I, in Italy. I came back. So I was based um, on the south in Venice. Mm. Um, so I spent a few months there. And then when I came back, I actually then paid for myself with that tax-free money. <laughs> Um, and, and took myself to culinary school and then actually finished my culinary degree. Mm. Um, and as I was about to finish, I, I then got the opportunity to then move to the U.S. Mm. Um, so I never got a lot of work experience in the country that much because uh, I was gone for quite a while after. When you were in Italy, um, you know, you've now done the hotel school thing and you're gravitating into the space of food. What did you find was different? Because I imagine, you know, in Italy, it is the nonas and the mamas. And, you know, it's more free form when it comes to how they cook. They will struggle to tell you how much flour they use. You you know, they eyeball everything, right? Versus going to culinary school where the classic style of cooking is very particular. Um, yeah. And, you know, you you start to have to break down things you grew up with. Like we as darkies did not grow up with medium rare chops on the, on the grill, you know. So yeah. h- how did you find that, that balance? Because I think both experiences have massive value. Yeah. Um, h- just that transition, what was that like for you? I mean, this, I mean, that's the thing with experience, right? Uh, and that's why it's something nobody can take away from you. And the more you have, the better. Mm-hmm. And the more different experiences you, you attain, uh, the better it is for you. Uh, because in Italy, not, I wasn't really working with the Italian mamas. I was, mm-hmm. I was working, we were based in Italy, but we traveled around south of Italy and south of France. Mm-hmm. Um, in a small boat. So I got to work with a lot of French, uh, Spanish chefs, um, chefs from India. Mm. Um, so chefs from all over the globe. And, and that exposure for me and also first time out the country, uh, out, out of Joburg was, was very exciting and it opened my eyes. Um, and that was at a time where not every second person had been overseas. Mm. You know, you only knew one or two people. So, and then coming back home and seeing what it's like here and having a vision of where I'd like to be and then going to culinary school and then ending up in, in, in the USA, a different culture, a different lifestyle. Um, it really opens your eyes. And also in, in the US and Florida where I was, I worked with a lot of Haitians, Jamaicans, Cubans, mm-hmm. uh, which, who became my friends. And I used to frequent Jamaica a lot. So I got to understand the cultures and the food there as well. And in New York City, working with Japanese chefs, Korean, and that's where my French, uh, I'd say French affair started, mm. where I was mentored and groomed by um, classical French chefs and got classical training, um, working with Mexicans, learning Spanish in the kitchen and, tra- and, and also traveling to Mexico and, and trying the food there. Um, all of those experiences and moving to Paris as well, working with Spanish and and very, very high-end um, three-star Michelin uh, uh, chefs in France gives you another level of ex- experience. And then coming back to South Africa after all of that and trying to understand where I'm from, where I grew up, mm. um, 
and where I'd like to take my career. All of that put together is is literally what I'm trying to put out in what you tasted today. How how grueling were those hours? You know, you you speak about the different kinds of cultures you're exposed to, the different types of chefs. Now I'm a an addict when it comes to watching Food Network and every time I imagine let's say Japanese I just imagine somebody who's super strict and will make you slaughter the sheep again just so you can you know fillet and do everything you need to uh, correct yeah. but how grueling were those hours uh, um, and, and would you say that in South Africa our work ethic is at that standard at that level in, in the food industry in the restaurant business um, I mean, those hours are horrific. Um, I remember in France, we worked like 20 hours and slept three hours. Um, and I remember we worked right next to the Tuileries Gardens and it's like a park and we used to go sleep there sometimes and then re- literally come back to work. Wow. Um, things so that people uh, never know, hey? Things that people don't <laughs> know. I always say people see the wins, but I've, behind every one win, there's nine losses that people mm. don't know about. So... Um, the hours are, are brutal, but it, I think it, it prepares you for um, entrepreneurship and being tough and, and being consistent like we spoke. Mm. Um, and just discipline. It, it gives you that level of discipline. Uh, but things have changed now. Even overseas, the hours are less. They're trying to make it, uh, uh, it needs to make more sense now because it is brutal. Um, but for me, I try my best to get the guys to work normal hours, you know, um, it shouldn't be a very, um, I think very depressing kitchen mm. as, as, as we know it. We um, will taste it in the food. However, <laughs> however, the one thing I always say to my team is that, um, the milit- the militant part of it will never go away. It's a formula that works mm. and we need people to be disciplined in the kitchen and that's the only way to get things done really. Okay, so let's talk Le Creatifs. Yes. Tell us what it means. Where did the name come from and what was your vision? Well, the name means the creatives. Um, obviously, it's in French. Um, because of my French background and I was mentored by French chefs, both in New York City and in Paris. Tu parles um, français? Oui, je parle français. Oh, bien. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm petite. <laughs> je parle anglais. I'll just always leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so it's, it's really paying homage to them. And, mm. and they're still uh, my, my really good friends um, who I actually was with them last week uh, in Paris when we were busy with our Johnny Walker campaign. Yes. But, uh, you know, it's it's... Still friends, still mentors, um, and family, really. Um, the cuisine, I mean, what I just love about it is you fused so perfectly what we as Africans love about food is just the yeah. richness and the flavor. But you brought in a certain type of finesse when it came to the presentation, even the portions, your, your plates look like art. I mean, honestly, the, 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 the love that you poured into it, it makes sense that you are les yeah. creatives. Um, yes. What would you love those that come to dine in your space? What would you like them to leave with when they leave after being there? Well, I always say that um, people should come open-minded. Um, <clears throat> so... I think at this stage in my career, it's not really about trying to prove to people that I can cook um, mm. or, or how good um, I can cook. It's really about 
um, sending a message across um, or like you said, creating a work of art and, and art always has a message. Mm. Uh, but using food as the medium um, and I always say to people that um, um, there's a message in between the courses. <laughs> So you, you need to read the message and, and that's where we are. We're really trying to push the boundary. Um, we're really trying to find the unique universal palette, mm. like I call it. Um, so you can enjoy it. A, a, a 16 year old can enjoy it. A 13 year old can enjoy it. And an 80 year old can enjoy it. A person from Northern Europe can enjoy it and a person from South Africa can enjoy it. Then, you know, you got a universal, uh, uh, you know, flavor palette that everybody understands. But I think lately we're pushing it more where I change the menu every two weeks or so. Um, but we're pushing it even further now into gastronomy where we're even using beverages, beverages that people never actually used. For mm. example, like whiskey, mm. we're doing uh, our uh, gastronomy flavor pairing and whiskey tasting with, with, with our new Johnny Walker Umami. Mm. So we're really pushing the boundary and trying new things. And I mean, where in the world can you have duck and sampan beans in one right. dish? And it's not heavy. It's yeah. not, you know, what you, what you put together was not heavy with the gorgeous puree and the sauce. Um, you play on vegetables. For anybody who's afraid of any vegetables, I mean, you had your radishes. You had your Brussels sprouts. You yeah. had the, you know, the mini corn. Um, um, and I just absolutely adore your approach to keeping plates colorful and interesting that you know now you can go back every two weeks and you can try out something completely new. Let's listen to some of the voice notes that have come through on 072-702-1702. Okay, keep sending those voice notes. Um, and just uh, with the time that we have with Chef Wandile Mabaso, can you share with us where the restaurant is, where can we find it to start to enjoy more of the food? Right, so I'm in Brainston on Hobart Road. Um, small hidden restaurant called Le Creative. Uh, it's a 40-seater. And um, you can make reservations online through Dine Plan, uh, through our website as well. Um, or you could call us if you're having a hard time and you can find us everywhere online on Google. And we open from... Tuesday to Saturday and dinners only and uh, we only take 40 people per day and that is it. How is that business model working out, eh? It's working perfectly. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure there are people listening. You can DM Wandile if you have any yeah. questions. Here are some voice notes. Hi, Rile Bukhile. I would like to say to Wandile, well done, good work, keep it up. I'm one of his suppliers for one of his signature dishes and he does a great goat meat and i suggest that everybody try his goat meat it's an absolute amazing dish and i want to say he is amazing excellence and one of the best chefs in the country and i would like him to keep up the standards and to create more uh, outlets and more franchises so that we have more wonderful food like what he gives it's rutendo hi oh my goodness chef wandile do you know there is this chicken broth that they serve in an eggshell before you start with your courses? It's chicken broth, but it is so flavorsome, so delicious, just incredible. But the service, the attention to detail, 
the presentation of the food, the effort that goes into it. Wow, wow, wow. You've got an amazing chef in studio today. And my friend Puleng Malabatsi and I had the opportunity to actually be at the restaurant and be served by him. And he is so humble, so talented, so down to earth, and yet so incredible. in Alberton. Thank you so much for that voice note. What would you um, like to share with all the listeners as we close out this discussion? Yeah, so the listeners, um, wow. Um, we're very, 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 you know, happy for the support and for the love that we are getting. Our restaurant was built by word of mouth. Mm. It wasn't built uh, with millions behind it or, or, or marketing behind it. Um, we we truly grateful for the people that uh, and the brands that still support us. And um, if I can, I'd give shout out to them. My, my friends at uh, uh, Diageo, Johnny Walker Blue, for allowing me with this new campaign that I think is going to blow people's socks off in, in the in the next couple of weeks. And my God supplier, thank you. <laughs> um, I was like, you popo. <laughs> yeah, and, and just everybody that's giving us love and support and, and truly understands what it is that we're trying to do um, and, and how we're trying to bring authenticity back into the city, back into dining, back into food. How we're trying to put Joburg back on the map where it belongs because I mm. believe it is the capital of this continent mm. and will remain that. And probably in five years will be the culinary capital of the continent definitely to so. to as many michelin stars the future can allow you we will continue to support we are so so proud of the work that you do raising the south african flag very very high for those of you that want to book on instagram check out les creatives restaurant facebook same thing website lescreatives.co.za and you can book via dine plan